Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, a writer and researcher at MLB.com. Joined by Matt Myers, MLB.com National Content Editor. Today is Tuesday, March 28th. It is two days from opening day. We are going to get right down to our season predictions as we teased last week. First, we'll talk about a little bit of newsy stuff that's happened. Then Matt and I will make our official, absolutely 100% going to be correct as long as nobody fact checks us in October predictions. Awards, World Series, you name it. This is how the season is going to play out. Before we do that, Matt, there's like been a couple of newsy things. I always like at the end of spring training, one of my favorite things is finding out which prospects are going to make a team? You know, who will, who won't? Anthony Volpe is going to be on the Yankees from Open Day, which I think is pretty cool. Jordan Walker is going to be on the Cardinals, which I think is pretty cool. There's a couple of guys who won't be, who we'll get to in a second. Uh, but were you surprised that Volpe actually got the starting Yankee shortstop job right out of the gate? Um, Maybe a little bit, but like... I don't know. It's been building towards this for a while, and I think that the fact that they haven't gone out and signed one of these big free agent shortstops the last two off-seasons, they've really been biding their time for this moment. And in some ways, Fulby made it kind of easy on them because he was so good this spring. Uh, not just like performance-wise, he looked the part. Even just like 10 minutes before we we started recording, he made a couple of fantastic plays in the infield uh, in an ex- exhibition game against the Nationals. So given th- given all that and that all that's led up to this moment, I can't say I'm entirely surprised, especially since I think that we have to re- rejig our expectations for top prospects and opening day rosters because I think it's the new rules in the collective bargaining agreement I think have added impact on how teams are treating top prospects. Um you know, it, it, you, this used to not happen, and now it's happened, what, four times in the last two years where, like, top prospects have made opening day rosters? Uh, yeah, I think that's right. Uh, it's a good reminder that last year Julio Rodriguez made the opening day roster, won the Rookie of the Year, so now the Mariners get an extra draft pick after the first round, which isn't nothing. Uh, Adley Rutschman did not make the opening day roster, but he finished in the top two, so he gets a full year of service. Uh, before we get to the, to the Orioles, because I just was thinking about it with Adley Rutschman, um, I'm going to make a... Maybe an old man hot take complaint here when we talk about Anthony Volpe. I know how narratives work, and I know how everybody's like, hey, the Yankee shortstop from New Jersey grew up emulating Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter is not from New Jersey. I know he was born in New Jersey, as was I. He lived there until he was, what, like three, I think, something very young. He grew up in Michigan. He's not from New Jersey. I know where he was born. It's... (sighs) That, it's like, um, you know, I know Dave Roberts was born in Japan, right? Didn't grow up in Japan. <laughs> that was my hot take. I had to get it. Well, out. I mean, obviously you're a Jersey guy, so you're going to have that take and that's fine. But didn't he like, didn't his grandmother live in New Jersey? And the reason he says he's a Yankee fan, because he'd visit her every summer and he would watch Yankees games. I, I think that's the case. I don't remember. Probably. Uh, it's just like, if you have, Mike Trout is from New Jersey, right? Mike Petriello is from New Jersey. You know, you got to actually lived there continuously to be from New Jersey. Those are two, obviously the two most famous mics from New Jersey. Yes, top of the list for sure. All right, guys who did not make the roster, uh, Grayson Rodriguez didn't. There's a lot of angst about this. Top Orioles pitching prospect did not make the opening day roster. And I think the reason there's a great deal of angst here is because the Orioles really had a disappointing offseason. You know, like they had such a surprisingly good team last year. Mike Elias said, you know, it's time for a liftoff. Their opening day starter is Kyle Gibson. No disrespect to Kyle Gibson, that's not necessarily you know who your number one guy should be. And so I've seen a lot of people saying, well, they're not serious, they're not trying to win, they're not going to have him up. And like I get it to some extent. I don't think they've earned the benefit of the doubt just with the way their winner went. 
on the other hand, he missed a lot of time last year. You know, he had a lat strain, only pitched 75 innings. And while I don't generally want to put too much on spring training, you know, numbers, because they don't really mean anything, uh, he allowed 15 runs in 15 and a third spring training innings. It's it's not great. It's not like you can't have him down for two weeks and then call him up anyway. And as we saw with Rushman last year, you can do that, and then you might still get the full year of service time anyway. I, I just feel like in the recent history of baseball, baseball has sort of earned the reputation for top prospects are maybe being held down for less than noble purposes or reasons. But on the other hand, that doesn't mean that every single time it happened, it's because of that. He didn't pitch that well. You know, he didn't pitch that much last year. Let, let him pitch a little bit. And if he dominates, great, call him up. That's how I feel about it. I, yeah, and also with a pitcher like that, I mean, like he's probably he's probably not going to, even in a best case scenario, he's going to pitch 150 innings this year. That's like if everything goes well, probably. More likely, my guess is the Orioles would rather see him pitch 130 and hope that like those are 130 meaningful innings in games that matter if they contend. So like it's very easy to sort of build a plan for him where they're like, you know what, let's set it to AAA. We can ramp him up a little more slowly, build some confidence. You know, his first outing could be like four innings, then maybe five innings. Hopefully he can dominate in AAA, get some confidence. And then late April, May 1, when it warms up a little bit and he's he's stretched out, he's feeling good, then we can bring him into the majors and then we maybe don't have to worry so much about – you know, how we use him, how many in- innings he pitches. Because, like, you know, the alternative is, hey, he makes opening roster and we limit him to, like, 75 pitches in cold-weather games against major league lineups. That might not be great for his development either. So um, I think it would be different if he had hit the ground running last year and pitched, you know, full inning, as you kind of noted, and of the full season and was ready to maybe pitch, like, feel comfortable that, okay, if all goes well, this guy could be, you know, make 30 starts for the major league team. But that like that wasn't going to happen. So this doesn't seem that crazy to me. The other team to talk about is the Mets, who are choosing not to break camp with any of their top three hitting prospects. Uh, you have uh, Mark Vientos, Brett Beatty, and Francisco Alvarez. Alvarez is the least surprising here because they had a couple other catchers. And for what little spring training stats mean, he had three singles and 31 plate appearances. So it's not like he lit up the Florida State League. Uh, Mets fans, I think, are mostly angry about Beatty more so than Vientos. And I guess that's in part because, you know, Eduardo Escobar is a, a fine player, but he's not like an irreplaceable cog. You follow the Mets a little more closely than I do. Should Brett Beatty be on the opening day roster? You could certainly make the argument. I mean, I think Eduardo Escobar is a pretty good player. Like he's a very, this sounds like underhanded, but like he's a very competent player. He's a very reliable player who was their best hitter down the stretch last year. Like you don't want to, also, like, you want Brett Beatty to play every day, right? So you don't want, like, I think when you call him up, you want him to be called up to play every day. And I honestly wouldn't be surprised if that happens sooner rather than later, if Escobar slumps. I think Escobar has better from the right side, so I could see it being a sort of a platoon. But then again, Brett Beatty, do you want him being in a situation where he's never hitting against left-handed pitching? So, like, I think it's defensible. How about that? Yeah, I think that's fair. For ba- I, think it's defensible. I think it's defensible for baseball reasons. You, you would think that Mets fans would just have been so stoked that they actually cut loose Darren Ruff. Who never really worked out there, but no, I guess it's more fun to be angsty. Uh, two things from Cleveland I wanted to talk about. Right before we started talking here, they apparently have signed or will sign Andre Jimenez, who had a great year last year, to a seven-year, $106.5 million contract, which is uh, great news for the team, obviously. Uh, but the more concerning thing is that Tristan McKenzie is hurt, and it was kind of weird how this played out. At first, it was like, oh, a little bit of a sore arm, back him off a little bit, and now... He's shut down from throwing for two weeks, and he may need up to eight weeks to return to play. So, like, June, 
I feel like we're talking about June here. And if you look at their rotation, Shane Bieber's been there for quite some time. He's very good. Cal Quantrill, Aaron Savali, Zach Plesak. There are things I have liked about all three of them at times, but less so recently. Like Savali's been hurt, hasn't pitched that well the last couple of years. And then if you look at who's replacing McKenzie, it's Hunter Gaddis, who was going to be in their bullpen. And I should know by now, never, ever, ever underestimate the ability of the Cleveland Guardians to find pitchers out of absolutely nowhere. But this rotation just feels a little bit thinner than I thought it would be, especially because Daniel Espino, who's a very highly regarded prospect, is also hurt. And when we get to our AL Central predictions, this injury is going to play a big factor in it for me. Like, I'm a little bit worried about that. At the same time, I think it's great that they've signed one of their best hitters uh, for many years to come. The, that division is close enough that it could it could swing it. So it's that's it's a tough blow for the for the Guardians. You hope it's just one of those things where it actually the pitching injury where it's, hey, shut him down, he's okay. Because you always worry, like with any pitcher in, pitching injury, that it's going to be more than that. And I guess we'll kind of just have to to wait and see. Jimenez, as for the Jimenez deal, like I like him as a player. He's very he's multidimensional, very smooth. He's had a weird couple of years. You know, pandemic year, he was really good for the Mets. Then 2020, 2021, he was not very good. Last year, he was very good. But the gap between his weight on base and expected weight on base was pretty large. And his expected weight on base was about average. That said, he's He's a fast player. He's a very good defender. So, like, there's a valuable player no matter how you slice it. I'm curious if he's, like, an all-star like he was last year or if he's just, like, a good player. So he's another player I'm kind of curious to see what his um, what his outputs look like in 2023. I have a couple other quick spring training notes, and we're going to lightning around these so that we can get right to our predictions here. Uh, Matt, is it bad, even when I say a million times that you shouldn't really care that much about spring training stats, that the Miami Marlins have the lowest batting hard hit rate of any team? Considering how much we've talked about how much they need to increase their offense, no team, at least only in tracked parks, which is mostly in Florida, had a lower hard hit rate. How bad is that, or should we just ignore this entirely? <laughs> I was just looking at the schedule of opening day games earlier today, and I saw Sandy Alcantara versus Max Scherzer. I was like, with the pitch clock, we could get like a – we're going to look for a game that could be under two hours. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be that. There's your game right there. <laughs> All right, the second thing, I was looking at those spring training hard hit leaders, and I looked at guys who, I forget what I said, 15 balls minimum, 20, whatever it was. Number one is Cabrian Hayes. Number two, Ryan McMahon. Number three, Spencer Torkelson. Now, Torque, that's a great sign. Number four, Jake Cave, who had generally been like a backup outfielder. I was reading an article with Jake Cave the other day. Did you know that he said he broke his back in 2021 and played through it, which is either like the toughest, most badass thing I've ever heard or... Let the guy rest. Why, why are we playing through broken backs here? Now he's got like a 62% hard hit rate. Maybe it was the back. Maybe he's going to be like the next shocking, I don't know, Justin Turner-esque breakout in the mid to late career. Uh, yeah, it's either heroic or stupid or maybe both. But yeah, uh, the, the third thing, how excited can I get about Jeffrey Springs of the Rays? 24 strikeouts and two walks in spring training. He was pretty good last year. Had an year under three. Uh, he has split his slider into two pitches. He's got the slider and he's also got the sweeper. The Rays are going to be better. We'll get to them in a minute. But 24 strikeouts and two walks. Um, I can't look past it for a guy who has a new pitch and has had some success. I don't even need a response to Jeffrey Springs. I just wanted to get it out there. The final thing, here's a question for you. Will Patrick Corbin lose 20 games this year? Think about this. He's starting opening day. We all agree the Nationals are not going to be very good this year. They need to suck up lots and lots of innings, and he is like the only veteran starter they have to do that. The last two years, he was 9-16, and 6-19. and 19. 
they had, in my entire lifetime, I was born in 1981. We've had one 20 game loser. It was Mike Murhoff. I know the answer here. He gets to 19. They don't throw him for the last three weeks of the season. But will we ever see a 20 game loser again? And will it be this season? If it's going to happen, this is as good of a candidate as you're going to get. <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a break. Matt and I will come back and we're going to get through our actual division predictions for the 2023 Major League Baseball season. We are back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast, Mike Petriello and Matt Myers. It is about 48 hours till the baseball season starts, so Matt and I are going to roll out our official predictions. Matt, as I was saying that, I vaguely remembered last week us deciding we were going to start somewhere. And now I can't remember what we said because I'm like, oh, we always start with the AL East. Did we just say NL West? I think, we, I think NL West. Okay, NL West. Uh, if you listen to our podcast from last week, we did over-unders on each team. And so we kind of went through each team in detail and talked about why for each team. We're not going to repeat all that. If you're interested in that content, check out last week. We're going to mostly just focus on the outcomes here. We're going to focus on who's going to win. I'm going to start first. Matt, in the National League West, I have the Padres over the Dodgers. Both playoff teams. I think the people who say the Dodgers are going to miss the playoffs are wildly overshooting Like what a disappointing winter it's been. Padres, Dodgers, Diamondbacks, Giants, Rockies. This is my official on the books and a West prediction. What do you got? Uh, I, we, I think we're we're very close. We flip flip flop on 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 two teams. I've got the Padres in first, Dodgers in second, Giants in third, just ahead of the D backs, with the Rockies in fifth place. You know, it's we've gotten so used, and this is going to be a theme in all a lot of these divisions where it's like one team has kind of dominated for years, and it's kind of like, am I really going to pick against them? They seem to always figure out a way to do it every year. At some point in human history, the Dodgers will not – I mean, I guess they didn't win it two years ago either, right? Although they did win 106 games, so it still felt like um, – it still felt like they might as well have won it. Um, but this year, I think – I mean, I think I have them with 89 wins, which might be a little low, but um, now that I look at it. But one of these years, they're not going to be a dominant juggernaut, and this feels like it could be that year. Um, and the Padres are just a really good, really deep team, so I don't think it's – this this is a, a logical time to, to make the switch in my mind. Doesn't it say a whole lot about them that we project them? If you project them with 89 wins, I have them with 90. And it's like, wow, that's so disappointing. <laughs> you know, like it says a lot about their dominance. The only um, take care I will reject is when people say, well, they won 100 and what was it, 11 games last year. How could they lose this many fewer games? It doesn't matter, right? It is a different roster with different players. What they won last year, it really does not matter. Just look at the Phillies who you know, had a different manager and a different bullpen for the first two months of last year. Okay, uh, NL Central, I've got this one pretty close. Cardinals with 88 wins over Milwaukee with 86 wins. I think it's going to be pretty tight. And then I've got the Cubs in third, Pittsburgh in fourth, and the Reds in last. But I'll say this briefly. I have changed my opinion on the Reds just a little bit since the last time we talked because I said they weren't going to hit and they weren't going to pitch. And then I started looking at the rotation a little bit more. Hunter Green, Nick Lodolo, and Graham Ashcraft – all kind of dudes. Like I could see that rotation being better than you think. They're still not going to be a good team overall. Uh, Cardinals for me, just because I have so many questions about their rotation, but I think you're going to get another great year out of Arenado and Goldschmidt. Um, I think Jordan Walker is going to be really good. I think Tyler O'Neill is going to be great. I'm actually kind of down on Dylan Carlson. I don't think he's going to be that great a player. He's their fourth outfielder right now. 
But you take that, you take Wilson Contreras with the bad upgrade. I think they're going to be a good, not great team, which is what you need to win that division. I, I went to the the Knicks game with our friend and colleague Will Leach last night. And of course, conversation turned to baseball and talking about his beloved his beloved St. Louis Cardinals. And I, I will say, as I was as we were talking about it, and I'm I'm very skeptical of their rotation. And not this is not because Adam Wainwright is hurt. I mean, you could argue that like I don't want to say I'm not gonna say it's good that he's hurt, but like what he did last year was probably not repeatable. And he may be in reality like their fourth or fifth starter um, with the version of him now, even though he was, he was going to start on opening day. Um, but I think their lineup is really good. Um, it's it's deep. You know, it's like, oh, remember the, the guy, you know, Yadier Molina who could not hit at all? Yeah, he's been replaced by one of the better hitting catchers in the game, right? Like Lars Newtbar was actually pretty good last year and then looked great in the World Baseball Classic. He's pretty good. Obviously, Goldschmidt and Arenado. O'Neal will probably bounce back. Nolan Gorman was like a super hype prospect like a year ago. Yeah, he's got some flaws, but like they're also asking him to be like their eighth best hitter. Tommy Edmond will probably hit ninth. He's pretty good. As you said, Carlson is like a bench guy. Then there's Jordan Walker who might be like a star in the making. So the lineup is really good. That said, I talked myself into the Brewers after our podcast last week, and I'm sticking with the Brewers. <laughs> Why? What do you like about the Brewers? The, the, because the pitching staff is deep, the starting rotation, like the bullpen. I love Devin Williams. And the lineup, it's the same. It's kind of the same song with them where it's like, oh, they don't really have holes in the lineup. There's like a lot of focus on, hey, Christian Yelich isn't the star he once was, which is true. But like they kind of just like, like I think William Contreras is a huge upgrade for them. And then Jesse Winker, I think, is going to be like a sneaky big upgrade for them as well. So I think their lineup is actually like kind of decent, if not that not that like exciting with like you know bold face names. And then you ha- you start your rotation with with Burns and Woodruff. It's going to be close. I mean, I just I kind of talk myself into them. So it's also more interesting. It's also more interesting if we disagree. Well, that's exactly what I was going to say. I'm just happy we're not picking the same ones here. All right, the NL East. This is a, a very interesting division. I have. Um, I have the Braves, number one, and I don't want to say by a lot because it's not by a lot. I have them at 95 wins, the Mets at 93 wins, the Phillies at 90 wins. I think all three of those teams are playoff teams. But even though I only have the Braves by two wins over the Mets, this was maybe the easiest of the three divisions for me to pick. Like, I'm kind of all in on the Braves. I think Matt Olson's going to have a huge year. I think Sean Murphy is a great addition. I think their bullpen is better than people think it is, uh, even though Rysel Iglesias is hurt. I think people forget how many guys they had missing last year, right? Cunha wasn't at full strength. Albies missed a lot of time. Uh, Strider and Harris weren't there from day one. I really like the Braves, and I think that they're going to not easily win the division, but I just couldn't come up with a reason not to, especially with Edwin Diaz missing and Hoskins and Harper missing. Um, so, And then fourth, I had the, the Marlins at 82 wins. And I'm sorry, Washington Nationals fans. 55 and 107 with exactly 21 of those losses going to Patrick Corbin. That's what we call a throwback. Your turn. I always would have picked the Braves, but I think the Edwin Diaz injury, you know, is enough enough to 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 tip the scale even more in their favor for for a lot of the reasons you mentioned. The one thing that I don't think is getting a lot of attention about the Braves and not enough to whatever you think of the Dansby Swanson signing by the Cubs. Dansby Swanson was very good last year for the Braves and their replacements for him right now, Orlando Garcia, maybe Vaughn Grissom, not great. There is like a pretty notable downgrade, a pretty key spot on the diamond that is not nothing. Um, that said, I still think that they've got a more complete roster than the Mets of the Phillies. So I think I'm, I have them first, Mets second, Phillies third. The Hoskins injury stinks, especially since like 
he's one of the homegrown guys, like that was like kind of predates the current era with the free agency, and he's entering his walk year. Might have been his last year in Philly. Might be his last year in Philly. So it stinks from that perspective. From like a baseball perspective, he's a good player. He's not like a great player. He's actually been remarkably consistent. In his, if you go to his Fangraphs page, he's basically like between two and two point five WAR every season, except for the pandemic season, which he, when he was basically on pace for two WAR um, through sixty games. So I think they can overcome that. Your right-handed hitting first baseman is kind of a, an archetype that's usually pretty easy to replace. Um, and I think they'll get Bryce Harper back, and that will obviously give them a jolt. A touch behind the Mets, but it's close. I think those two teams are, are are very close, especially with the addition of Trey Turner in Philadelphia. A very fun game to play is who will be playing shortstop for the Braves when they get to the playoffs, if it's not one of these guys. I'm going to throw out some unresearched names here. Uh, Jorge Mateo from the Orioles, very good defender, very fast, can't really hit that well. Baltimore's got other options. And here's the hottest take, because I'm actually super low on this team compared to everybody else. Tim Anderson. Think on that one for a minute. Tim Anderson, Atlanta Brave by August. I think that's that's that is uh, that's 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 spicy. It makes a lot of sense uh, in a vacuum. It makes a lot of sense, I should say. Um, so, you, you, division winners. I had Padres, Brewers, Braves. You had Dodgers, Cardinals, Braves. Who are your wild card teams? Uh, so I ended up with the same six playoff teams as last year. Right. So I ended up with uh, Dodgers wild card, Mets wild card, and Phillies wild card. So we have the same yeah, six, I, don't we? I had the same. I had the same. I think I had the um, with the the Mets with the first wild card, followed by the Phillies with the Dodgers in the third wild card, and based on my projected my projected win totals. All right, we will uh, come back to the NL a little later for awards and everything. Let's go to the American League now. Let's um, keep starting in the West. I have Houston at ninety five wins. I think as I look at this very quickly, I have yes, tied with the Braves. They are tied with the Braves for the most projected wins based on Mike Cast here. Um, Seattle at second Seattle's in a weird spot where it's like the Pakota projections as we talked about last week are super down on them for I think some reasonable reasons I don't trust Jared Kalanick or AJ Pollock I don't love the middle infield but man do I love that pitching staff like a lot so I've got them in second uh, three wins above the Angels now I'm giving the Angels 86 and 76 which would be their best season in like eight years they still won't make the playoffs Otani will depart Sorry. Uh, Texas in fourth at 79 and 83. More small steps uh, back towards contention. And Oakland, I have 54 and 108. Here's why. A projection system would never project a record like that because they are inherently conservative. I don't have to be. I get to say, well, they're not going to play that well, and they'll probably trade off whoever they have at the deadline, and the last two months are going to be... So Houston, Seattle, Angels, Texas, Oakland. Where are you? I have some slight differences in the middle, but Houston, I think, is still – I still think it's the class of the American League. Um, even without Justin Verlander, the pitching depth is still incredible. Kyle Tucker's a star. They have – you know, they added Jose Abreu. They're going to miss Altuve, but they can overcome that. Um, he'll be on for, out for a couple months. It's the, – the bullpen's incredible. So I think they – in some ways, for me, the way you said, I think the Braves are the easiest call. I think for me, the Astros yeah. are the – the easiest, the easiest call on this board. I have Seattle in second, but I have the Angels in third, just behind so do I. the Mariner. But I have them. I have them. I have them just a game back and making the playoffs. I do have the Angels as one of my wild card teams. I think that's one. Ooh. That's one place where where we differ in the in this conversation. As again, it might be wishful thinking. I think I probably picked the Angels to sneak into the wild card like each of the last four years and every year. <laughs> And yeah. then what happened, as you like to say? Because um, you want them to. That's the thing. You, as a baseball fan and baseball employee, want no, Otani Intra out there. This year's different, Mike. They've got a bunch of. <laughs> they, they raised their floor. 
Well, they did. To be honest, I'm actually like I'm kind of in on Taylor Ward and Patrick Sandoval and Reed Detmers. Like I think the bullpen is a huge problem. But it's like if you just manage to keep Anthony Rendon healthy for like four months, it's not hard for me to see like this team surprised a little bit. Now let's go to the central. Here's the one where I think um, I'm uh, people will disagree with me. Your 2023 American League Central Division champions, your Minnesota Twins. That's right. Sorry, Cleveland fans. I have the Guardians missing the playoffs. Here's why. Minnesota first, but only at 89 wins. I'm not totally naive here. Uh, Cleveland second. I have the White Sox at 78 and 84. It's here I should point out that I did actually do the math on these to make sure it evened out to 500. I can't be like 100 wins heavy on the league. Every game is a winner and a loser. Uh, Kansas City, 69 wins. Detroit at 64 wins. I... Like I said this before, I'm kind of really in on what Minnesota has done. You know, there was a, a lot of angst amongst Twins fans last year at how Rocco Baldelli would continuously pull his starters after like four and a third. They hated him for it. Like, oh, this new school back in my day, guys would go deep. And it's like, yeah, but you had like Chris Archer, Dylan Bundy, and Devin Smeltzer. And Sonny Gray was pretty clear that after the, you know, like the abbreviated spring of the trade, he wasn't like fully ready to start the season. And it's going to be really funny this year when it's like, okay, Joe Ryan's not a rookie and he's got a new pitch. They traded a really good bat for Pablo Lopez, who's got a new pitch. Sonny Gray seems a lot healthier. And all of a sudden, their guys are going to go deeper into the games. And fans will be like, well, I guess Rocco learned his lesson. <laughs> like, yeah, he learned to have better pitching, right? That's what happens. They have better depth for if and when Buxton can't play because I like Michael Teller a lot. Um, I'm in. I'm in on this team. I'm in on Joe Ryan. I'm in on the uniforms. I'm not really out on Cleveland. I think Cleveland will still be good. It's just, I, you know, the McKenzie injury hurts, and I could not do what I did in the National League. Like, I had the same six teams in the NL making the playoffs. I cannot do 12 for 12. Like, that's unreasonable. So I had to pick one playoff team from last year to get bounced, and it's Cleveland. I'm sorry. That's where I'm at with that. All reasonable, and I, I made my pick before the McKenzie news broke, but I'm going to stick with it. Uh, I guess you're going to cross my fingers that McKenzie just has to – to to miss time as opposed to actually going to the knife for any 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 reason and I will I have the the Guardians edging out the Twins by one game 89 89 and 73 to 88 and 74 I think these two teams are very close um, obviously we know that some of the Twins key players starting uh, first and foremost with Byron Buxton have injury histories of their own that seem to to pop up every year so that would that's what gives me a little bit of pause with them but the two teams are evenly matched it should be a close race. I'll give the Guardians an edge just because of the, the the fact that they've been so, as you mentioned earlier in the podcast, their ability to sort of get the most out of previously anonymous pitchers um, just when they need it. So I've got Guardians, Twins, White Sox. I've got tw- White Sox at 500 a little bit ahead of you, um, Royals, and Tigers. Last year, before they got just totally drowned by injuries, the Twins actually led the division for 41 more games than the Guardians did. And it just all fell apart at the end because they couldn't keep everybody healthy. I think it's going to be different this year. All right, the American League East, I went with the Toronto Blue Jays. 93 wins, just a step above the Yankees at 92, just a step above the Rays at 91. Baltimore, like 82 and 80. You know, I, I think the Orioles will actually be a better all-around team than they were last year, but I think they're going to give back some of that bullpen magic that really helped them steal a lot of games. Um I have been very clear for quite some time that I am the low man on the Red Sox. Again, I had to have the numbers even out. So I've got Boston at 75 and 87, which I feel like is going to be an unpopular take. Um, I have Toronto, the Yankees, and the Rays all making the playoffs. Um, pretty in on the Blue Jays. They, they made a lot of changes. I didn't love them all. They'll miss Teoscar Hernandez 
love the outfield defense. Love adding Chris Bassett. Really like adding Eric Swanson to the bullpen. I'm I'm a big fan of what the Blue Jays are doing. And to some extent, it feels like we've been talking about them being up and coming for long enough that it's like, if you're not going to do it this year, it's not going to happen. Like now is the year, especially with the Yankees having injury issues with Rodon and um, Harrison Bader. Totally fair. And I made my prediction similar before. I picked the Yankees before. heard about now Luis Severino maybe missing some time. Yes, that too. <laughs> I'm going to stick with him. Um, this is a little bit of like the Yankees always seem to sort of figure it out um, pick here. Um, but the 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 high-end talent is – is st- it still is what it is, right? I think that like, and that really matters. I think that like, you know, Aaron Judge is the best player in this division. Garrett Cole is the best pitcher in this division. Um, Carlos Rodon, and from when he's on the mound, is not far behind in terms of being the best pitcher in the division. So I think those things matter. I think that their decision to to roster Volpe and put him on the team, yeah, there's, I mean, any rookie like, you never know, but like they were playing Isaiah kind of at shortstop for much of last year, like. This could be a big difference. I mean, this guy was first minor leaguer since Andrew Jones in 1996 to have 20 homers and 50 steals in a season last year. Like, this is a dynamic talent who could really give the Yankees, like, like a, a breath of fresh air that they, they kind of desperately need. And so I think that is enough. Also, their 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 bullpen continues to be very good. Like, they're, they're, they're very good at this. Clay Holmes, Michael King, like, they got dudes. So I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm going with the Yankees. So we ended up with, what, four of the six overlapping teams right we both picked houston seattle yankees toronto and then i went with tampa bay and minnesota and you went with the angels and guardians which is i think a nice overlap but not like completely identical but we i think we have two different division winners i went with the jays and twins you went with the yankees and cleveland which feels like similar to last year that's kind of why i didn't do that yeah i mean it would be I, as a as a fan of like like to see new faces in october like i, I hope to see a little more you know I, I kind of hope I'm wrong, right? Like I don't. I like to, I make predictions because like it, it forces me to think about what I think of the teams and sort of you know level set for the season. But part of the fun of being a fan and working the game is being wrong and having the teams come out of nowhere and surprise you. And you get these fan bases that suddenly get like super jazz. Like you know, seeing last year the Phillies make that run, like that's that's fun, right? The Orioles, if they actually manage to get together and get to the playoffs, like when they made that run in like 2012 and 14, they got to the playoffs, like Camden Yards is rocking. So like, I, I I hope to see that. It's just that, you know, based on what I see right now, I'm not so sure. Those are our official 2023 MLB predictions. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we will get into our award selections and our postseason predictions. And I can guarantee you this, Matt and I have selected different World Series winners, which I'm quite happy about. We'll be right back on the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. We're back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Mike Petrell and Matt Myers finishing off our 2023 season preview. We're going to get into our award selections and postseason predictions. First, we're going to start in the NL. And when I say award predictions, we're going to do the MVP, the Cy Young, the Rookie of the Year. We are not going to do Manager of the Year because I don't like selecting Manager of the Year. It's impossible. And much to the chagrin of our great producer, Alex, we're not going to do all the silver sluggers either. But if we did, I would definitely pick Mark Hanna for one of those. Here's my MVP for the National League. And I know this is like inertia here, but how can you not pick Juan Soto? I will always pick Juan Soto. I know he didn't have a great you know, adjustment to San Diego, but he looked like a man on, the, on a mission this spring. 
when he's healthy, and I know he's got a little bit of a side issue right now, we've been calling him the next Ted Williams for how many years, right? That team's going to be great because there's a little bit of gaming this selection here too in the sense that it's not just who will I think is the MVP. Who will, um, it's like who will the voters actually select? And as much as I don't like this to be true, guys on winning teams tend to do a little bit better. I think the Padres are going to be good. I think Juan Soto is going to have an amazing year. And he, it sort of came down to, can I talk myself out of it? And have him like, how could I do it? Well, his defense isn't that great. There's that. Uh, the answer came down to no. Juan Soto for me. Reasonable prediction. Um, I actually have a, another member of the Padres as my MVP pick. And this actually might be what is the undoing for both of them. Because as we've seen in the past, sometimes having two MVP caliber players can hurt you. Although, of course, it didn't happen last year where Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado were both world, worthwhile candidates. And Paul Goldschmidt won. My pick this year is Manny Machado of the Padres. The reason why I, t- I pick Machado over Soto, who may will probably put up like as good or better stats, and certainly in like OBP, he'll certainly put up a higher OBP, is I think Machado generally has been a very durable player, and I think that like playing pretty much every day really matters. And so I think his counting stats will be really good. I think he's been there a little longer. So like when the Padres, there will be a little bit more of a narrative of like him being sort of like the fulcrum of the team, and. It's just a little bit of a hunch that, like, it's going to come together. Plus, he does have the defense in his, or at least the highlight plays in his favor. Um, so I think that that is going to be the enough to put him over the top. So we both agree it'll be a member of the San Diego Padres. I'm going with Manny Machado. Yeah, I just realized we're about to do the same thing for the Cy Young, where we have split our votes from the same team. Um, I have a couple of quick honorable mentions here. I think Matt Olson's going to have a tremendous year. I think Trey Turner is going to have an absolutely tremendous year. He's probably my second choice is Trey Turner. Uh, and I also think Nolan Arenado is almost overlooked at this point. An all-time great glove, and he still crushes the baseball. My pick for Cy Young, Aaron Nola. And I feel like he doesn't get the same kind of hype that you know guys like Sherlander, Sherlander, <laughs> Scherzer and Verlander do. I've invented I like that. Um, Aaron Nola is not only effective, but he's durable. Right. I mean, he's I think this is going to be what his sixth straight opening day start for the Phillies. He threw like 92 percent of the innings that Sandy Alcantara did last year with a better strikeout rate and more ground balls. Um, I just I feel like we almost get bored by him because he's not the new thing and he doesn't put up these insane seasons like Scherzer does. Aaron Nola for me. Well, as you you already you already yeah. gave away my my Cy Young pick. Ranger Suarez, uh, right? <laughs> Uh, Zach Wheeler, for some of the reasons you mentioned, right? Like he's like been consistently very durable and very effective. And I think that like one of these years, he's going to have the year that's just like a cut above the rest. And I think that this, I think that because of the, his, his velocity, he kind of, he does it a little easier than Nola does. And I just think that like, there's a, maybe that one extra tier that he hasn't yet reached. I think we've already seen the best of Aaron Nola. I don't yet think we've seen Zach Wheeler's career year. So that's my that's my thinking, um, but we'll see. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, two other names I would have mentioned, uh, Corbin Burns, who I think is going to have a great year, and Spencer Strider, who I think absolutely has the talent to do it, like completely dominant. I just needed to see him do it for more than you know, two thirds of a season or whatever. Like I could easily see us saying at the end of the year, can't believe we didn't pick Spencer Strider. That was dumb. I, I don't see, I don't see Strider pitching. I think he, there's going to be an innings gap. That's what I would think. I think there's like, I could easily see Nola, Wheeler, Alcantara, Verlander approaching 200 innings, 200 innings plus. I can't really see Strider going more than 180, but we'll see. That's fair. Um, For my rookie of the years, uh, we'll do the American League in a minute. I feel a little bad 
because I definitely picked chalk on both of these guys. I have a little bit of a bias towards guys who come up at the end of a previous season and succeed and obviously don't play enough where they won't be eligible. But that's that's something to me, right? So I went with Corbin Carroll of the Arizona Diamondbacks. He came up at the end of last year. Uh, you know, didn't play that much, obviously, but in 32 games, he had a 133 OPS plus. And uh, again, for what little spring training stats mean, is hit 370 with a 630 slugging. But here's what I like about his spring training this year: 58 plate appearances, 11 walks, and eight strikeouts. That kind of stuff is actually a little bit meaningful to me. If you look at the underlying like Statcast numbers, truly elite defensive outfielder, top, top, top of the scale speed. Right. I know the hard hit rate wasn't like spectacular, but he doesn't need to hit 40 home runs with that kind of speed, that kind of defense, that kind of play discipline. As I've said a number of times, I think the Arizona Diamondbacks are going to be pretty fun to watch this year. I don't think the pitching is going to be great. I think the lineup is going to be a lot of fun. And I think Corbin Carroll is like the obvious choice here. It's it's hard to find somebody else. Not that there aren't good candidates, as you will get into in a minute, but uh, he seems to be the clear number one. And I just didn't want to outthink myself. Sometimes it's just like the obvious guy is here. Pick the obvious guy. That's fair. A, a brief aside, because the D-backs got me thinking about it. I feel like every year there's a team that comes out of the gate strong. And like it's like mid-June, and it's like, oh, watch out for this frisky team. And then they sort of just like you quickly realize, oh, actually, it just so turns out they played their best 50 games in the first 50 games, and they're actually like a, a 500 team at best. Who do you think is going to be that team this year? I mean, maybe the Diamondbacks, <laughs> or maybe the Giants. <laughs> That's the Diamondbacks. Got, the Diamondbacks got me thinking about it. Um, I think they're they're a very strong candidate in the National League. In the American League, I could see it being like, I don't know, like the Royals if their 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 young hitters come out hitting well. Oh, White Sox, White Sox for that one. Oh, that that could be it too. Um, I'm going like with a little bit more of a narrative pick for the National League is Jordan Walker, just because I think that like there's a lot of hype, there's a lot of reason to think he's going to be good. There's going to be a lot of momentum behind him, especially since the, the Cardinals will probably be good and he will get a lot of a lot of attention. His debut is going to get a lot of attention. So there's like a lot more to to build like a narrative around for him than 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 Carroll. I'm rooting for Carroll. I, I love players like him. Some of the batted ball stuff gives me a little bit of pause, at least maybe first year the teams might be able to challenge him and that maybe he won't hit the ball with the authority that he needs even to be a league average hitter, but like I really hope I'm wrong because like guys who can like put the ball in the gap and hit hit doubles and triples, um, really fun, especially in that ballpark. He could be a lot of fun in that ballpark, which has huge, huge alleys. I'm with you on that. Um, one guy I wanted to highlight who he's not going to win because the team's not going to be any good, and because he plays in a ballpark where it's very hard to contextualize performance is uh, Ezekiel Tovar of the Rockies. He's a shortstop, really good defender. I think he's going to hit more than people think. I think you know. He's not going to win. He's not probably going to come close, but he is a guy worth noting because I think he's going to have a really interesting and good season. All right. As I just said, I didn't want to like outthink myself. And so I say that because we're going to talk about the MVP in the American League. I'm picking Shohei Otani because I've watched baseball. I One of the most frustrating things about Aaron Judge's like race to the, you know, the home run chase last year was people saying, well, Otani can't even be in the conversation. Have you seen what Judge is doing? I'm like, yeah, Judge is going to win, and he should win. But of course Otani can be in the conversation. Have you seen what he's doing? Not that his profile needed to be inflated anymore, but I think after what happened at the end of the WBC with Mike Trout, now he is like the face beyond whatever face of the game he was before. As long as he doesn't get injured, he's going to have a monumental season. And if he does anything like he did last year, as long as nobody comes around and hits 64 home runs this year, he's going to win the MVP and it's going to be unanimous. I think 
You very well might be right. But the reason I did not pick Otani is because I think the expectations are so high now that even if he's like just Otani great again, people might be like a little bit of a disappointment. Um, so that's why I'm picking, and this is why I stuck with the Guardians as my AL Central division champions, Jose Ramirez. Because I think Jose Ramirez is going to be a player who is now going to be – he's going to be healthy. Last year he was not healthy in the second half, had a thumb injury. I think he's a – with the new rules, is probably going to be 30-30. Everyone's talking about Acuna. He could be like for 40-40. Like Jose Ramirez is about as good of a candidate as there is. Um, and I think if the, the Guardians do manage to win the division again, he will obviously get a lot of credit for it. He's come close to winning MVP before. The support is – it's almost like he could be like the, the Paul Goldschmidt of this year where suddenly like the support coalesces around him because it's like, oh, yeah, this guy probably deserves an MVP. So I'm going with Jose Ramirez. I cannot argue with a single word that you just said. Um, I don't think enough people talk about him in the sense of future Hall of Famer yet. But like that's obviously where this is going. He's he's that good. The next guys I had in mind here, uh, well, Julio Rodriguez, I think is an obvious one. But really, number two behind Otani, it's going to be Vinny Pasquantino. I think that's obvious. We should just get it out there right now. Cy Young for the American League was an interesting one to me. Because I looked around, and it's like, well, I thought about Rodon before he got hurt, but now obviously he's hurt. I don't love any of the guys on the Twins enough, you know, even the, the Astros. I don't know if there's anybody there I could pick to do it. I thought real hard about Kevin Gosman. I think Kevin Gosman's going to have a great year. But ultimately, I went with Luis Castillo of the Mariners because he'd been very good a couple years ago for the Reds, and then it just kind of fell apart a little bit. And then when he got traded to Seattle last year, and I feel like Seattle is an underrated like pitch design team. You know, you think about the Astros, you think about the Dodgers, the Rays, and the Yankees. Seattle pretty much belongs in that conversation. Like, look what they've done with guys like like Paul Sewell. And he pitched some of the most dominating baseball I think I've seen in a very long time. So you put him on that team all year round with a solid defense behind him. I think Luis Castillo is going to win it. But I, I came this close to going Kevin Gosman because he's really good. And I think the improved defense in Toronto is going to help him a lot. I'm going to carry over my logic from the MVP to the AL Cy Young. Um, if you look at the Cy Young votes of the last five years, starting in 2022 and going backwards, this person has finished ninth, second, fourth, second, and fifth. Um, so close but no cigar, uh, Garrett Cole. Um, I think that at some point he's going to win it, and I think why not this year? I didn't have a clear clear candidate kind of like you did, so I was kind of like it feels like one of these years he's finally going to win that Cy Young Award. Why not this year? He's as well positioned uh, as he's ever been. So that's 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 why I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Cole, who while his ERA did go up a little bit last year, he did also still lead the American League in strikeouts, so he's still pretty good. Isn't it wild that he has sort of become underrated? Like you wouldn't think a guy could sign a massive contract with the Yankees of all teams, and we don't talk about it enough. Like, but that's sort of where it feels like we're at here. All right, rookie of the year, the American League version of Corbin Carroll for me in that he is a consensus number one prospect who came up at the end of last year, played very well. Gunnar Henderson of the Baltimore Orioles. I still don't know if he's going to play shortstop or third base uh, more this season, but it it doesn't really matter. Uh, This is a guy who kind of like burst onto the prospect scene in some sense. Uh, Last year when he came up, you know, 34 games, uh, 123 OPS, but like the underlying stats were really good. I think he is going to be like full go this year. So I feel less strongly about this one than I do Carroll. But even so, Gunnar Henderson has already shown some success in the majors, and I kind of put a lot of value on that. Very strong choice. Will not surprise me at all if he wins. The the pick, my pick is a little unorthodox just because I think some voters are sometimes hesitant to vote for established stars from Japan when they come over to 
the majors, thinking like, oh, maybe they're not really a rookie. Um, but I'm going with Masataka Yoshida. He looked so good in the World's Baseball Classic. His track record in Japan is very impressive. I just think that like he's going to be a little more refined, and just his numbers are going to be a cut above the rest. And uh, that's why I have him as my rookie of the year choice. My sleeper pick, um, I'm not sure how much of a sleeper it is, though, is Estory Ruiz, just because I think there's a chance he could steal 50, 60 bases and be really exciting. And people are like, oh, this guy, the new rules, this guy's like carrying the torch of the new rules. He did it. I saw he hit a home run last night with 109 mile an hour exit velocity, which is way harder than he hit any ball last year. So hopefully that's a sign that like he's got a little bit of a better feel for major league pitching. I don't expect him to be someone that's going to hit the ball that hard that often. But if he can stay on the, stay on the roster and put up a 320 OBP and steal 60 bases, I think that he will have a a very strong narrative case and just be a lot of fun to be honest. Yeah, it's worth it's worth noting that um this this morning or last night it was reported that Christian Pache will not be making the A's. He's out of options, so he'll either be traded, sent through waivers, whatever, but that really clears up a lot of runway for Ruiz to play in the outfield every day. It is time to get to the postseason predictions. Matt, who do you have coming out of the American League? I'm going to tell you right now. I have the Toronto Blue Jays, and I guess that means I'm going to have the Blue Jays and Astros in the ALCS, which would be super, super fun. As I said earlier, it's sort of now or never, I think, for this Toronto team. Are they quite as deep as Houston is? Probably not. But, I, you know, Vlad Jr. is going to have a great year. The outfield defense is great. I think the bullpen's underrated. Give me the Blue Jays in the World Series. Your American League team. It's boring, but I'm sticking with the Astros for all the reasons I said earlier. I just think they're they're still they're still the best team in the American League, so I'm going to stick with the Astros. It is it's extremely boring, but I I respect it. Um, In the National League, I've got the Atlanta Braves. I didn't realize, and they'll write this second. This is going to be a rematch of 1992. Yeah, 93 was the Phillies, right? Okay, so give me a 92 rematch, Toronto and Atlanta in the World Series. That would be a lot of fun. Vlad versus Acuna and all that. Give me that. Who do you have? Uh, I have the Padres in the World Series. Uh, I think that they – there's a chance Fernando Tatis comes back and is not the player he once was, but I think more likely he is, and he's really good, and that team is just going to be really, really good. The high-end talent on that team is going to be enough to carry them, to, not just to the National League West, but also to the World Series. And the winner of your World Series is going to be? This is where I, I, I change it up. I'm not going to the Astros. I'm going to the Padres to win it all this year. Yes, I love it. I want them to do that, and I want them to wear the uh, neon City Connects while they're doing it. I'm going with the Braves to win the World Series. I don't know if that's exciting, but a Braves-Blue Jays World Series, um, as I've said many times, I'm very in on what the Braves are doing. I think what I'm most interested in is which sort of unknown guy are we talking about for the Braves, right? Like last fall, it was, uh, oh, Michael Harris, uh, you know, Spencer Strider. Before that, it was, oh, they traded for some random outfielders. It's going to be someone like, you know, Jared Schuster or Brandon Shoemake, who has come up, or somebody else they trade for. Um, a huge fan of what the Braves have done. And I, as I think I've said before, too, like when you see Christian Pache flame out so quickly with the A's after just a year, it really tells you a lot that they know their own players, right? They traded Pache, they kept Michael Harris as far as like defensively gifted outfielders. What has worked out there? They kept the right guy. Like, I have a lot of respect for moves like that, which allows me to look past the shortstop issues a little bit. Um, and as I said, Tim Anderson's going to be playing in the World Series for the Braves you know, in the upcoming season. So look for that. That's the end of our 2023 projection prediction show. Um, I sort of use those words interchangeably, and I know they mean different things, but they kind of come out the same way. 
that'll do it for the podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. See you next week.